This episode of Teeming with Microbes is brought to you by Number Two Organics, made in partnership with Malibu Compost, Bigfoot Microbes, and Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers. You know, a lot of mushrooms you can't drink wine with. Really? Uh, shaggy means, for example, a lot of people, it's, it's a bad combination. Very, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll hallucinate and climb down someone's chimney. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to the Teeming with Microbes podcast, our weekly deep dive into the rich and fertile world of the soil food web and organic gardening. We're breaking down all the science and handing out expert gardening advice while busting those long-held myths about how to help your garden grow. With the man who literally wrote the books on teeming with everything important in your soil, the Lord of the Roots himself, Jeff Lowenfels, and me, Jonathan White, the caffeinated gardener. From flowers to lawns to vegetables, heck, even your mind. Let's grow it all. Did you get everything that you wanted for Christmas? Um, yeah, I didn't really want very much. I didn't get everything I want. I want peace on earth, you know, and that, that we don't have that. So I thought you but, want something realistic. Well, you know, I think that's realistic. But You know, I've, I, I've known you a long, long time, and you've always been a very trim, you know, you're a dapper man. You're, you're very trim, but you, really? as you've gotten older, your beard has become a little white. Have yeah. you ever been asked or have you ever played Santa? Oh my gosh, have I played Santa? Yeah, I have a beautiful Santa Claus outfit. And uh I used to go around uh to various houses and and knock on the doors of friends who had kids and and I would be Santa Claus. And eventually it got to the point where some of the parents would actually leave the presents around the corner of the house and Santa Claus would would bring the presents right into the living room, you know. Now he would ask for grappa <laughs> in, re in return. So, you know, some of the visits were probably not the best. Now, of course, I was setting you up. Of course, I know oh. that you play Santa. You've been to my house as Santa. Yes, I know that. Yes. And yes. my my kids, my oldest in particular, thought it was really funny that you were such a skinny Santa. But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> better than the alternative. Better than the alternative. Yes. Yes. So someone recently suggested to you that your next book should be on a, you know, a fairly complex but crazy important topic yeah. um, of biochar. Yeah. And this, yeah. Is a, this is an episode where I'm going to sit back. I know just enough to be dangerous. Okay. Well, you right? can ask questions if I'm not being clear about what it is. Well, tell us what biochar is and how bi biochar is so, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty much in a lot of places that you looked at, you wouldn't expect it. That's exactly right. Bio, biochar is, is basically charcoal but it's made in a process where they deprive the process of oxygen. So it's pyrolyzed, they call it. And so it's, it's got tremendous porosity. If you look at it in a microscope or under a microscope, there are a gazillion little chambers in this now charcoal substance. And it turns out you can make biochar from wood. You can make it from wheat. Plant residue or manure, right? Yeah, there are lots of different kinds of biochar. And and most people know about biochar when you say to them, remember back about 10 years ago, that was the hottest thing. In the, uh, the, there was the special earth down in South America uh, that the that the ancients had been throwing their stuff in the middens and, and, and it all turned into this stuff called 
Paratreta. Uh, it was this beautiful, beautiful, very rich coffee-colored uh, soil, and and it became the quite the rage. Uh, I happen to have been on a kayaking trip in Glacier Bay, and the guy took us up to a cliff, and a, and and at the cliff you could see like a maybe a oh three foot thick layer of dark soil. And then there was a different color soil underneath it. And it turned out that the Southeast natives would pull up a tuber out of this soil in the springtime, and then they would burn the residues, creating a natural biochar, only this not being in South America, this is right up here in Alaska. And it would enhance the crop that they got. And it was the place that you would garden. And for you and I, it has now become something that is sold. You can buy biochar. It is a subject of a lot of research. And uh, I've always said that, to, that it's a phenomenal condominium for the microbes that you and I talk about all the time. And that's why it's so good. And if you just take biochar and throw it in your garden, it's not going to work well because you've got to populate that condominium setup with microbes before it has any impact other than maybe allowing for good drainage. So that's sort of the background on biochar. You would think that, you know, it, there's also a component to this of like cutting carbon emissions, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you can make charcoal from all these different sources we've talked about, put it in the ground and use it as a form of fertilizer or, you know, bi right. bio uh, uh, microbe food. Yeah. You wouldn't think that well, would it's be all not, that. It's not really micro food. It's not, not food, but yeah. Yeah. It's the condominium where the microbes are in. Are, are in and that's the thing about it. It, is, it, it, it. it allows the microbes to have an incredible place to live. And, and, and I think that's what this article that I sent you really, really is basically saying, because if you look carefully at this article, and I sent Jonathan an article for those of you who are not in on it, and you're not, because Jonathan was the only one who got it. Uh, it, it. It came from a news story, and then I went a little bit deeper, and I found the original source. And so what you've got in front of you is both the story uh, about biochar and a study on tomatoes, and they used organic soil. And so they didn't get any better tomatoes. That was the interesting thing about it. Using this biochar, they had some very interesting positive results, but it didn't result in better tomatoes. Isn't that interesting? Uh, yeah. Well, and, and it's a little controversial. You, you wouldn't think it would be, but there's some argument in the scientific world about whether it's really yeah. that great for the environment, too, to make it on a mass scale. Right, right, right. right. How as do you a make promise to fix carbon dioxide. But <laughs> yeah. it's, so, it's so interesting, too, just how... You know, remember years ago they came out and said eating too much broccoli is bad for you or, or broccoli is not as good for you. And the president at wow. the time was happy. <laughs> yeah. Because he yeah, didn't like broccoli, but he, he was allergic to the sulfides that are in broccoli. That's why people people don't like it. But yeah, now everybody is the re I eat it almost every day. So, but you eat, wait, biochar or broccoli or both? Well, broccoli, but people do probably use biochar and, and you know, they eat charcoal or they use drink, they drink. Drinks with charcoal in it. Anyway, let's so we just passed Christmas. Yeah, this would have been a fantastic opportunity to put coal or yeah. biochar in someone's stocking and yeah. have it be a good thing. It would have been, except 
you're right about making it. I mean, if it, it, it really has to result in if it's not made properly. And I think that's the deal. You can make it at home. And and I saw somebody make it and I'm I'm just going to mention this. I don't know if this really works. They took, you know, twigs, maybe nothing thicker than your arm. Uh, and they and they made a fire and then they put their Weber grill top on top of it. It was down in a little little depression down in the soil. And they just put the grill top on top of it and it just charcoaled out. That was supposedly biochar. But, right. but not, you can buy it and people make it on a commercial basis. It's also a way of using waste products. Again, it's 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 regenerative in, in many ways. And so there are big, in Colorado, for example, there are big plants where they actually pyrolyze properly so that there's a minimum of pollution, this wonderful biochar. So, but the bottom line is they put it into this, into the soil and then they planted tomatoes in it. Right. Well, and just to get to, look, let's, yeah. cr- I'm going to crib the science here, but sure. you know, the, the paragraph that stood out here that sort of gets to the highlight of this is that I think what it says is that biochar seems to, and again, I'm cribbing, this is not from yeah, my, sure. um, attenuate the expression of different bacteria right. at the end of the time, you know, maybe due to the rise in the competition for resources, Yeah. right? So it increases, you know, the, the beneficial microbes, the comp- the activity down there, but it doesn't yet really lead to any sort of increased crops or better um, yeah. crops, yeah, healthier you, plants, probably healthier soil, but maybe not better. No. Yeah. The crops were better, but you're right. They had, they had, because of, there was this wonderful opportunity for them to live in this area uh, for the roots to grow into the area, uh, you know, for, for, for the use of the carbon that's in the biochar. Uh, and so they got a terrific population of the right kinds of microbes if you if you go further down in the article and i think you're absolutely right then and because they had such a great competitive group of 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 microbes they they fought off pathogens so Hmm. particularly fungal pathogens they didn't have an opportunity to take there was something there one of those multitude of of microbes was able to take out a particular kind of pathogen fungi and then other ones so that they they had a really good healthy soil as a result of it but but if you go further on down they talked about the fact that there were different kinds of biochar and there is now a need based upon what they found in this study to study different kinds of biochar on different kinds of crops well and you'd think like anything just like anything that we talk about with organic gardening, too too much of something can be yeah, right. detrimental, right? You don't right. want to really too much of anything. But one of the, maybe one of the, it seems like one of the highest benefits of biochar, at least I've always thought, is how much water the soil can hold. Sure. Helps, helps with that. Helps with the surface tension of the soil also, so yeah. it helps absorb it. And then this idea that it builds up this reservoir of nutrients that creates this competition. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. Particularly if you use something like, a, you know, a good compost where you got water or compost extract or compost tea, where you could fill up all of those microscopic little chambers with nutrients that the microbes can can get in at and, and whatnot. But but again, it, fascinating that 
they've been using this stuff for millennia. I mean, you know, back in, right. and now we're just figuring out there are different kinds of biochar, different crops react differently, and we need to do the research to do that. So if if you're growing a particular crop next year, you know, you might want to try uh, wheat biochar, and I'll try uh, wood biochar. We'll see whether we have a difference. Or maybe you try both. You said to ask you a question. I'll ask you a question. Sure. What did we talk about? It was during, we in the, didn't we talk about could biochar create exotoxicity in some plants if you use too much of it? Your memory is terrific. I think that's probably what they're talking about here because obviously the biochar, the one biochar does not work for all plants. Let's right. That. That, that's what it was. And we talked about like too much phosphorus in a plant. Yeah. Too, right. too much. Right. Too much. Even if you had a really great, like we were talking about, I think it was even with coffee with great phosphoric acid and that kind of stuff. All right. Yeah. 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 So you can, you can mess up stuff. But anyway, the bottom line on this one is that it's becoming very apparent that biochar is a useful tool. There needs to be more research done on it. I think this would be a great thing for science project thing, et cetera, for kids. This is this is a, a, neat, a neat subject, and people will be hearing a lot more about biochar. Well, and be careful, because next year you might just get it in your stock. <laughs> hey there, gardeners. Do you really know what's in the compost and soils that you buy? You don't have to second guess with number two organics. Farm-made compost that's 100% finished, topsoil with up to 17% organic matter, and a fantastic premium organic potting soil that has one-third of our compost in it. You can trust number two because it's made in partnership with Malibu Compost. Ask your local retailer to contact us at number2organics.com. Bigfoot Mycorrhizae is a complete microbial powerhouse that takes all the guesswork out of using beneficial fungi for your grows. It's like a soil food web in a bag packed with beneficial bacteria, kelp, humic acid, biochar, worm castings, and micronutrients. It's going to boost the flavor and size of your veggies, and it's the only mycorrhizae product to earn Jeff's coveted teaming with microbes seal of approval. You can find Bigfoot in Anchorage at Alaska Mill and Feed or nationwide through Amazon or our website, BigfootMyco.com. That's BigfootMyco.com. I may not put coal or biochar in your stocking next year, but one thing I am interested in seeing you is your your reaction to opening up or reaching into your stocking and pulling out a giant Amanita muscaria. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? I mean, and in fact, we have an Amanita muscaria decoration uh, because, as we talked, I think before Christmas, some of us believe that the Amanita muscaria and, and the biology behind it and the cultural uses of it—it's a psychedelic mushroom. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, it's that red base with those little white dots all over it, you you can't fail. And and we talked before Christmas that it's the Christmas mushroom. And the Christmas story, some people, me included, <laughs> derives from that mushroom. And I and because it's Christmas time, you end up reading tremendous amounts of their story after story about, is this true? Right. Uh, even to the point, I, a new piece of information which helped me make make my belief that it is true. It's like the story of Santa Claus. Is there really Santa Claus? I guess now it's, we're older. Is there really a mascara uh, origin to Santa Claus? The, apparently he went into the chimneys because the, the, the people in the tribes, 
that was the only way you could get in. They only had, they had this. Well, right. So, so one of our, one of our favorite episodes that we did with your longtime friend and author and oh, yeah. mushroom expert, yeah. uh, uh, Dr. Mike Amaranthus, right? Right. Um, we did this great, uh, actually, I think the very first podcast interview we ever did was with right. Dr. Mike. And yeah. he's got that great book, uh, Fly, Fry, or Die, The Field right. Guide to Mushrooms. There's another right. little plug for you. And I, it has always stuck with me. And, and, and of people that listen, well, the listener to our podcast, um, I'm constantly reminded of that episode because it was just incredible um, the, the backstory that I had never heard yeah. about the, the, the drinking of the reindeer. So if you haven't heard, you go back through the, wherever you listen to our podcast, go back to this summer and listen to that episode. But the long and short of it started with the idea that some, some, uh, you know, uh, ancient peoples would feed these mushrooms to reindeer and then drink the reindeer urine. Yeah. And it was the shaman that did that. The shaman, so there, right. There's Santa Claus and the reindeer, of course, Rudolph, red-nosed reindeer, all that kind of stuff, flying because it was psychedelic. And then I this, this week I read uh, that the particular air, one of the areas where they think this, this occurred, the shaman would, and may have been a female, by the way, went down the chimney hole, you and I think of a fireplace in the chimney and how did you know, how does Santa Claus get down that? But no, these are like big tents or big huts and they have a hole in the ceiling to allow the smoke to get out. And of course, if you were going to sneak in and leave presents, you wouldn't go through the front door. <laughs> right. You'd go through that hole in the roof. Right. So, and if they were snowed in and the yeah. shaman needed to visit them, there's so many cool and maybe it's a stretch. There's actually a book that we talked about that I've never been able to find that was written in the 60s yeah. where somebody argues. Do you have that book? Which one? I can't remember. I'll have to go back and listen. But the, the idea is that, um, you know, but the correlation to, to, to coffee and goats, right? The whole yeah. uh, the whole myth of the sheep herder. And if you've never heard this, there's a lot of lots of lit literature written about this where the the goat herder was tending to his flock in the mountains of, of, of Africa and his goats uh, were eating this pe peculiar berry and they would get frisky. And of course the idea is they're eating coffee cherries and then yeah. they get caffeinated. Yeah. Um, some of the same sort of tenuous connections are made to these psychedelic mushrooms and reindeer. And one of them is obviously that the reindeer would eat these mushrooms, go crazy. They would, they yeah. would basically get high and then they, they could fly. And then, yeah. and of course the colors of the mushroom that we're talking about, the red and the green, right. and those are the right. Christmas colors and, 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 um, and that, and that even, you know, a visit from St. Nick into your chimney was, it happened the night before Christmas. There's just so many cool little yeah. things all revolving around getting high from eating a mushroom in your yard. I'm a believer. That's all there is to it. And, and today I happened to look at one of my news aggregators that you find on your phone or computer and sure enough they have a picture of two the, the article is about how reindeer caribou like mushrooms and right they have pictures of them pawing through the snow trying to find mushrooms which must be a pretty tough thing to do i might add but but let's go back to your coffee thing for a second uh apparently uh coffee was used to clean hands did hmm. you read that today yeah well, no but i know notice that ever since our coffee episode yeah there has been all kinds of aggregate news out there on coffee, including this new thing going around. 
as if the world has just discovered that a little spritz of water on your micro dose of espresso can help with water extraction is now becoming the it article. I it's read all that. Over the, and <laughs> I got to tell you, I swear to you, I tried it this morning. And could, I didn't you, know, could you taste I didn't, the difference? I didn't know what I was doing. I put a drop of coffee in my grinds and if only ground them up. you knew somebody that you could call. <laughs> down to earth all natural fertilizers has been a partner of organic gardeners for more than 40 years with a full range of omri listed and organic approved products featuring a wide variety of premium organic blends and a diverse selection of single ingredient inputs down to earth is dedicated to using the highest quality natural ingredients available including marine proteins, natural minerals, and biological soil additives. Down-to-earth all-natural fertilizers can be found nationwide in independent home and garden centers, so you should ask your retailer for down-to-earth products. Look for that compostable box or find us at downtoearthfertilizer.com. I forgot to mention that you know, from the looks of me, you can tell that I there's not a lot of food I turn down. But one of the things I won't eat, I mean, I never really had a taste for it, is mushrooms. I just don't like them. Never have. That's just well, unbelievable. A good friend of mine who we should have on this show because he's he's like you. He's a polymath. I would consider him a true polymath. He lives on the peninsula and he's just getting started with an indoor mushroom farm. Mm -hmm. It's one of these very cool high-tech, they take an old container and they turn it into a- um, A shipping a, container. Yeah, a shipping yeah, container, yeah. right. And he's got a couple there where he's growing greens all year round. He's supplying some restaurants and his own restaurant. And he just started this mushroom thing. And there, I know this is not new, but this is, it's just fascinating to see in person. Well, I brought home, uh, middle of winter, I brought home some lion's mane oh. and some oyster mushrooms, oh. I think. And my wife made these, I'm using air quotes, crab cakes. Uh, I'll give you the recipe out of this lion's mane. You could not tell it was a mushroom. It was wow. so delicious. Now, the other one, we she, she sauteed in some butter and I did not. I could tell it was a mushroom, so I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't really get through it. Uh, but anyway, neat, neat stuff. So, yeah, so no yeah. flying reindeer. So let's get him on one of these days. Oh, we he, should. He's so easy. Good, good friend of yeah. mine. And it's easy for people to learn to grow mushrooms. It's it's funny you mentioned uh, lion's mane because my wife went to the supermarket today. And for lunch, we had a little, each of us had a little bowl of lion's mane. Just just nothing else cooked up. Oh, Ooh, okay. good. Uh, I like that you drink wine with it. So I had some wine. But oh, I didn't. Mushrooms. I don't drink wine. You know, a lot of mushrooms you can't drink wine with. Really? Uh, shaggy means, for example. A lot of people, it's, it's a bad combination. Very, Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll hallucinate and climb down someone's chimney. Yeah. Oh, that would be. Anyway. Yeah. Hey, listen, next week we're going to do a little New Year's resolution for gardening. And Ooh. obviously one of those resolutions is going to be compost on there. Mm -hmm. And we've talked in the past about Hoogan culture, one of our favorite um, mm -hmm. methods mm -hmm. of gardening, organic gardening. But we, we received a question, uh, and it was a question. It was great. It was from Blaine Byington. Um, uh, and I just love the, hey, hey y'all. I love the y'all. His name's Blaine. He's the new, art, uh, new owner of a gardening business called Uncivilized Gardens. And, um, man, he had a question about inputs that he had in, in Oklahoma that he was thinking about making compost with. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it was an interesting question because it's, it, and we won't give everybody the details. I I hope I answered them directly. I can't remember the question. You did, you did. Yeah. What he was asking was like about these various inputs and, and some of them I get cheap and I, I get great quantities of them. Can I make compost out of it? And it occurs to me that people really need to be reminded of, of two things. There's something called a compost calculator. Now that will tell you how much compost you need to fill in a garden or a space or put, to put one inch thick over your lawn. Uh, but you can also find a compost making calculator. And what these do, and I think Cornell has one, I think there's one from University of Oregon, various, various places you just use, as Jonathan likes to say, the Google, and you, you ask for a compost uh, making calculator. And so you end up with a, with a neat little system and you can put in there almost any kind of material you could possibly compost how much of it you have and other combinations, you know, other, other materials you have, and it'll tell you how much of each you need in order to get a 30 to one uh, uh, ratio to make good compost. And that's well, the way to do it. Yeah. And the root of his question was, can I use these different materials? And some of the materials that he, uh, that Blaine outlined were a little unique, not things that, and they were based on his environment. And, and again, we won't get into it. It's a great question, by the way, Blaine. Thank sure, you. sure. We love y'all's question. Yeah. But the idea is that there are some do's and don'ts about compost, but at the end of the day, it's just basically degraded material, right? right? Carbon and nitrogen. Right. And in the right combination, in the right conditions will create a just an absolute essential additive to any garden. Right. And and in order to make it, you need to know how much carbon is in, say, for example, your newspaper and how right. much nitrogen is in that newspaper, because you want to get a 30 to one. Isn't it 30 to one? I think it is 30 to one. It depends. Depends, right? Sometimes it's 50 to one, sometimes. Yeah. But that's the beautiful thing about the time. What a time to be alive, right? You can just get on the Google machine right? and people have done the work for you. And I always think about this. What was it like? What if Blaine was doing this in Oklahoma uh, with nine pigs and all the other things he's got yeah. going on. This would have just been years of trial and error. Yeah. Instead, people could put into that Google machine <laughs> how much of your coffee grinds they need and how much of my newspaper they need in order to come up with good compost. It's a phenomenal tool. And you're right. We are lucky, lucky, lucky that we, we can use something like that rather than have to test out how, how long it takes for that pig manure. <laughs> right. Now, well, more on compost for sure next week as we start and kick off 2024. And Blaine, we appreciate your question. And listener, don't forget, if you have a question for Jeff or myself, I, I can't really answer them as well as the Lord of the Roots can. Sure you or can. Or with teeming with microbes at, it's been a couple of weeks since I've said it, me.com. Me? Right. right. <laughs> teeming with microbes at me.com. We have big plans for 2024. What a great way to end the year, Jeff. This has been a real pleasure. Merry Christmas. Yeah, and back at you and Happy New Year. We'll talk to you uh, in the next year. Oh. Hey, thanks for listening to this edition of Teaming with Microbes. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing this gardening season. 
Jeff and I wrote this episode with additional production and editing by Evan Phillips of Podpeak. You can find him at podpeak.com. Our music is also by Evan Phillips. Thanks, as always, to the Anchorage Daily News for hosting our show. And don't forget to catch Jeff's weekly gardening column in each Friday's edition. We'll be back next week with another edition of Teeming with Microbes. Until then, get out there, get your hands dirty, and get growing.